are listening to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements, brought to you by Jabba.io. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. So why am I doing a podcast on virtual engagements? Well, effective virtual engagements can increase your quality of life and significantly improve your income. This has happened to me, and I want to share all these virtual tips and tricks from experts around the world with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. I'm Alistair Davis, your host. And today we have a guest all the way from the UK, England. Her name is Sandra. She's the director of Exceed All Expectations. And she's a lecturer of people management and leadership and specifically emotional intelligence and customer management at Pearson College London. She is a customer experience consultant for brands like Vodafone, Arsenal Football Club, and the Open University. And she's the first emotional intelligence coach in the UK. Welcome on the show, Sandra. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. What a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. So uh, tell me about this uh, penchant you have for skydiving. What's that all about? <laughs> do you know, I I, I, can't, I wanted to do a bungee jump and I thought, no, I actually don't think I can, but let's try skydiving because the fact is that once someone, I did it tandem, uh, and once you're attached to someone and they decide to go, you got to go. Uh, did it once, loved it, got straight out, back on the next plane up and just continued doing it until I kind of ran out of cash for it. What a buzz. <laughs> I know I've done it before. I actually did skydiving in the UK as well, uh, a tandem jump, and it was really, really cool. That first, seven, I think you're only in free fall for like seven, eight seconds, and then the parachute opens. It's so short. I did. Uh, I actually did. Uh, let me see. I'm remembering fifteen thousand and forty seconds. So I might have gone up a little bit higher. Uh, it was one of those that it wasn't quite long, it wasn't quite long enough. So I kind of like, what's the max I can do? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's take it to the max. <laughs> totally. So you've lived a, a charmed life. You met Prince Philip by accident once. You've met actresses. You've travelled around the world. Very lucky. Very lucky. There's a story actually associated with the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, I did my Duke of Edinburgh Gold Award. For those of you guys listening, uh, you may know that there's a kind of bronze, silver, gold. And I came to it quite late. So actually, I was just within the year of when you kind of had to get it done if you were going to do it at all. And when you've completed, you go to Buckingham Palace for a, a garden party. And my par I took my parents along and typically British garden party where you have to kind of queue up for a cup of tea. My dad was like, no, we're not, we're not queuing. We're going to go to this tent over here. Well, this is before the days of big security. It ended up being the VIP tent. And in, as soon as we kind of gate crashed in, in, came, in comes Prince Philip, who then promptly asked me a bunch of questions, including something like, what are you doing in this tent? So um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a bit of a hoot. Can you get me a GMT, old girl? <laughs> something <laughs> did he, like that. Did he yeah. say something like that? Well, it was something like, I think you'll find the tent for candidates is over there. I was <laughs> like, uh, my dad's fault. Um, I think I went bright red and just carried on. Who was this commoner in the tent? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And now you are an emotional intelligence coach. 
What is that? It's a method of coaching people is the best way to describe it. So uh, I've been coached in the past before where you might be encouraged to identify some targets and go for your goals, you know, all this type of stuff. Well, actually, this is more around understanding the emotions that come up in you. And if you're able to, to kind of manage those emotions so that rather than reacting, you might respond I think all of us have had a time when we've done something and then regretted it. So one of the jobs that I do is to understand my clients, understand things that hold them back. And often it's about being emotionally intelligent. And once they've got to grips with that skill, they find that they can build much more kind of helpful and supportive relationships. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. Help my clients achieve what they need to through being a bit more EI. Okay. And is there a framework? How do you sort of unpack or quantify emotional intelligence? Great question. Um, There are a number of tools that we use in order to help people gain self-awareness because Dr. Goldman's kind of framework is all around gaining self-awareness first. Once you have that self-awareness, then you can start to manage your emotion. Then you have this kind of social awareness thing. That's the third kind of pillar, as you like. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing is where relationships start to get a lot easier. So we start off with people doing a number of different tests, actually. They're self-awareness tests. They're also about what causes them stress, Mm -hmm. how they interact with nature, even understanding that when you take some time out, when you breathe properly, even Mm -hmm. when you spend some time walking, being out in nature, etc. All of those things, you kind of have a proper look at what exactly is going on. And then you decide to take some steps to try and kind of realign your life if things aren't working out for you. So over about 12 weeks, we work through a number of kind of chapters. And at the end, usually people are coping much better with stress and they're finding that they're having very different conversations. So it's not so much a a tick box at the start and a bigger tick box at the end. It's very much on how someone feels about how they're showing up and the relationships they have. Okay. Interesting. So you're saying that if you can understand the emotions and your emotions, decision-making processes or the way it affects your decision-making abilities, if you can understand that process, fix it, make it better, therefore you should be more effective or, and more powerful in your personal and professional life. Exactly. Okay. It's exactly that. And I think, you know, very often we work at pace. We don't always give ourselves the kind of luxury just to pause for a moment. Now, I've found that I've uh, now that I'm, I'm doing this coaching, now that I've been on the year and a half course, I can sense in my body when something doesn't feel quite right or if something is going to bring me joy or if something is going to make me feel a little bit anxious or a little bit frightened. And rather than saying something or doing something in the heat of that moment, I'm kind of thinking more about, well, where's this coming from and what exactly is it? Because what we know is that emotions have a whole bunch of reasons why they show up. So anger is all really around a threat of something or a fear of loss. And with Mm -hmm. all of that type of knowledge, you're able to say, 
know, what is really going on here? Why am I feeling like this? And then with that insight, you can choose whether you do something about it or you let it sit or you have a different conversation in that interaction. Okay. You said, um, well, I asked you what ninja tip you can think of that can make a person a better communicator. And you said, select, respond, not react. Mm. Yeah. And it takes a lot of practice and I'm still learning. Um, it's that whole thing of being triggered. That's the term uh, we use in coaching. When something happens, you read something, you might read something, you might get a text, you might get an email. Someone may speak to you on the phone. It might be in person and you feel something just click. Something just happens to make you react in a way that thinks, you know, this isn't what I want or that person's wrong or I need to correct them or actually that isn't very nice. Mm. So rather than in the spur of the moment reacting, you can think about how, actually you can think about what's really going on. And I'm finding now that I can attribute, actually I'm feeling like this because that goes against my values. For example, something happened recently and it goes against my values of fairness. And by understanding that, I was able to explain to the person why that didn't feel very comfortable for me and the Mm. reasons why. So I Mm. chose to respond in that way. If I'd just bitten the head off, then actually they would have reacted. Then the pair of us would have had to have kind of ironed out that issue and then we might have been able to talk about it a little bit later so Mm. much more efficient to do it in a way of responding rather than reacting yeah i guess uh we all know these things but it's very difficult to to do them and to implement them i can think for myself and my partner you know she says something now my (laughs) ex-partner there were so many trigger points and it was just very difficult to, you know, step back or take a moment or think what's going on. And, you know, what sort of framework or what practical things can you, can you tell people that they can take, a with, take away with them, you know, today, right here, right now, that they can do um, in these moments, like maybe with a partner or even in these COVID-19 times? Because obviously we're all under an added amount of stress and anxiety what can emotional intelligence bring to these everyday situations so coming back to the the first thing you've mentioned around what people can do so there's a number of things that people um, could choose to do it depends on how much time they have it depends how kind of committed they are to to bring about a change because i know how incredibly busy people have become having to teach kids and look after family members and stuff like that one thing that I mentioned to my coachees is to invite them to try and label the emotion that they've got so there's this saying you have to name it to tame it and if they are able to think actually that feels like anger or it's worry or it's fear then they are more able to think about the reason why they might be feeling that way. So that's one thing is to just stop for a moment and try and work out what it is that they're feeling. And actually, if you Google um, lists of emotions, you might come across a couple of wheels that have great descriptions of, uh, of emotions listed. And actually, I find that some people find that hugely helpful because when they can 
recognize an emotion they think they're feeling, that that gives them a bit more control. So that's one thing. Another thing that people could think about doing is journaling. And journaling sounds quite arduous, doesn't it? It's like every day you've got to write a book. Not even that. You might just decide to write a sentence or a short paragraph on how the day has gone and what feelings came up for them. It could be hugely positive. Deep joy, excitement, exhilaration. It might be less positive. But getting into that habit of noticing the emotion and then trying to describe it is the skill. There are neuroscientists that talk about this thing called emotional granularity. And that's really what we're talking about here. It's your ability to name it and then to explore it a bit so that actually it's not a thing that happens that you don't notice. You start to notice and then you can feel connected and then you can start to manage it much better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in terms of emotional intelligence, how can we apply this to virtual meetings or virtual engagements? Obviously, this is the new normal and people are doing you know, a lot of their business or their coaching calls or whatever it might be on a Zoom meeting or whatever. How can we apply EI to that sphere? So one way you can do it is something called um, active listening. And I'm sure that most people um, listening to this podcast will be familiar with this particular term. So even in virtual spaces, there is certainly an opportunity to really listen to the language that's being used, to notice the language that's not being used or some language that might be avoided and to kind of craft questions that inquire a bit more about it. So you might say, oh, why, you know, why do you feel that way? Or that's interesting. Tell me more about such and such. So it's it's two things. It's kind of using your attention, your absolute attention on the other person. So they feel like they're valued and they're being, they're kind of, they're being valued and that you're absolutely in the zone, you're totally present with them. That's one thing, because then that builds more rapport. And you may even find that they say a little bit more than they might normally, because they know that you're locked in. That's that's kind of one thing that you could do. And again, it's thinking about the conversation, whether or not the kind of, you know, if you know this person quite well, are there any differences in the language they're using? Is there anything different about the volume or the pace that they're using in their language and mm. just really bring up observations you know i noticed that you're, you're speaking really quickly is every how how is everything you know that kind of stuff and you'll find that people will open up and describe far more they might be more vulnerable in explaining what's happening and then that's when you can build more empathy when you can see what's going on and you can understand more then you are able to say oh i i understand that i was through to you know that happened to me or You might say, oh, that must be very tricky. And even these short little tips might change conversations for you in the virtual space, you know. Mm. Yeah, empathy is the foundational cornerstone of connectedness. Now, how do you build empathy? If you've met somebody or you're talking to somebody, you know, this is the first conversation, the opening gambit. What, What things can you do to build empathy? 
There's three different types of empathy, um, actually. There's one that's kind of the cognitive, where you neurologically, you cognitively can relate to what they're saying. So from a, we'll get into the neuroscience here, but the whole kind of relating to it, I, I think that way, I think I understand how you're thinking. The next level is where you feel it. You can actually feel the sensation of something similar to the person who you're talking to. And the mm-hmm. final one, which which is compassionate empathy, is where you do something about what you have heard and what you have felt. And that's very often where, even in a first conversation, you can build rapport and you can demonstrate empathetic concern very quickly. So if you and I were going to have a bit of a chat, I would be curious around some of the things that you may say to me. I might say, well, how does that feel? Or, or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? And then I might use the language that you've used to play back. Oh, that must be like this, or I can't even imagine how that feels. You know, it's kind of trying to create the connection, one through kind of clean language methodology, which is repeating, using some of the words that you've used to build the connection, but also just to give you the chance to speak. You know, I can't possibly get into your shoes and know what it must be like. But if I give you the space and I hold that space and let you speak, then that builds empathy. It enables you to think, actually, I'm not being judged here. This person is genuinely interested and that builds rapport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. You know, I've done a few of these podcasts now and that is the thing that has come up time and time again is empathy. And it's one of the muscles and one of the emotions that people didn't realize they had to use or build or use more of in these virtual you know conversations or whatever it is and you know for me obviously you know i'm focused on the voice and the voice is the one thing that really gives us clues as to the person's emotional state and oftentimes in these virtual engagements you can't actually see the person because you're looking at a webcam anyway so you don't see their body language and all you really have is how they sound And you've got to infer meaning, emotion, make a decision. Oh, Sandra sounds a bit, she sounds a bit pissed off. Mm. Let me just uh, (laughs) ask her there, what's wrong? You know, so you have to really listen, you know, and like you say, active listening. You've got to pick up on those emotional cues in the tone of voice. And, you know, one, one of the ninja tips that I tell people as well is to have a head, put a headset on a noise canceling headset so that you can, zone in on that voice on those sounds that you can pick up those little cues yeah yeah, it's true and you know I I do quite a lot of work with customer service uh, individuals and many of them have these incredible empathetic skills to be able to encourage customers who are on the other end of the phone to kind of start to relax you know their voice is very calming they may take kind of more control of the conversation by using language like, I'm here to help you. How mm. can we work together? So it's partly the tone and partly the language that they're using that can change someone's state of mind uh, and how they feel. And that's the whole thing, isn't it, about kind of emotional contagion, the fact that we catch emotions from one another. 
So if you're faced with someone who is speaking extremely quickly and isn't taking any breath at all, and then they raise their voice and then they get really angry, you know, you can be consistent to try and get them to a different place, even through your voice. You know that much better than I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's called vocal mirroring. So Ah. just like we can mirror body language, we can mirror another person's tone. Now, there's, you can't, I can't sound like you and you can't sound like me, but what I can do is I can probably pick the same pace as you and mm-hmm. maybe pick the same volume as you. So if we are the same, more or less, in pace and volume, we are mirroring each other in terms of mm-hmm. how we're speaking. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's particularly if you have powerful, uh, assertive speakers and the other person is not one. So if the other person is maybe shy or timid or is not a real talker, you, you can't have somebody who's like, all right, now you must listen to me now. I'm going to tell you a few things because then they, they'll just close up. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting is because we're wired, aren't we, to connect our, our brains, our, our kind of social intelligence. We're wired to connect because we need one another. It comes back to thousands of years ago when we relied on one another to kind of hunt and to survive. Uh, And so all of these techniques help us to pick out those people that we naturally want to work with or those Mm. people that trust uh, incredible skills. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So you're a remote worker, a remote working advocate as well, then I I take it. Absolutely. Do you know, I thought, I really thought to myself, this is self-awareness in a bag, isn't it? I thought, I'm a remote worker. I work from a cafe. I work from a space. I work from the kitchen table, work from the dining room. And then I meet people who are proper remote workers who use tools like Miro and Mural and various others. And they have these ways of working, which I just thought, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn. So I've been on a pretty fast course Uh, of learning in the last few months uh, to get up to speed with companies like Basecamp and Automatic. And I think this is marvellous. These are remote-only companies. Yeah, established. established. Well, established remote working or, I guess, distributed teams. There's all sorts of names for it, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And and talk to me a little bit about teaching children neuroscience. That seems like an interesting challenge. Yeah. So I've got this theory, and I'm very sure that I'm not the only one who has this theory, that in order to help children understand this emotional intelligence thing, if we can explain a little bit more about how the brain actually works, and to use, uh, actually, these are already uh, created illustrations in books like The Chimp Paradox. If we can talk about the chimp being inside their brain, And it goes berserk if these types of things happen. But if you want to make your chimp sit quite comfortably, being quite relaxed, you can do these types of things. How marvellous is that? Because they can then understand the science, the facts. Because, you know, kids are sponges, aren't they? My partner has a 14-year-old and I talk to him about some of the things that I've been learning in neuroscience. Uh, and we're drawing diagrams of where the prefrontal cortex is and where the amygdala is and all this kind of wonderful stuff. And I'm saying chemically, this is what goes on when you go to sleep. And chemically, 
this is what goes on when you're not feeling too good about something. And all of a sudden, it's like you see this epiphany in, in a child because logically they get it. They can yeah. see it, draw the diagram, they can understand. And there's some marvelous stories, um, particularly from the, I think it's the Emotional Intelligence Center uh, in Yale, as part of Yale University, where they're doing work with young children, where, for example, home environments have changed dramatically because the children have been taught how if they don't feel that good, they need to go and lie down, put a teddy bear on their tummy, watch the teddy bear go up and down in order to regulate their breathing, and then they feel fine. Mm. Yeah. Imagine that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about myself now. <laughs> Not in the selfish way. I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, stressed. You know, I'm feeling quite stressed at the moment mm. and uh, for various reasons. And, you know, what, what could you say to a person like me or other people out there who are feeling quite stressed or, or anxious? What, what, what can they do that's practical to reduce that? The first thing to do is to really focus on your breathing. And that means taking yourself if you can, if you're able to take yourself outside to sit with no distractions to so turn everything off. So don't have anything near you that might cause you to be distracted and focus on your breathing. Close your eyes and breathe through your nose and out through your mouth, really deep breaths. And you'll find that by regulating your breathing, you will start to feel much more calm. The other thing that we talk about with the Goldman guys is your relationship to nature and actually mm. how much do you do? How many breaks do you take? The science is saying that actually it's better for you to take four 15-minute breaks than it is to take one one-hour break. It's better yeah. to have frequency. Right, you, you know all this stuff. But actually to be immersed and to touch and to feel nature, whether you want to hug a tree or you want to take your shoes off and walk on the grass. The connection with natural substances are very calming. So number yeah. one, breathe. And number two, if you're able to, get yourself out into nature and just take it in. Just be feeling, if you can, a sense of gratitude and awe about this stuff that just continues to grow and, and has its own life cycle and beauty and that could work, perhaps. That could work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely two good tips. Last tip, people who need to connect, struggling with connection in the virtual sense on their laptops, on their phones, or these Zoom meetings or whatever you, they use, what, what, can they, what, what ninja tips can you recommend to them to help them connect? Well, I'm going to I'm going to steal an idea actually that I've heard about from Basecamp, um, which is they keep a Slack channel open for people to share pictures of the cakes they've baked or the children doing something uh, hugely creative or their pet dog, their cat, the goldfish, whatever. Mm. That conversation, that observation, the humor, um, the kind of taking yourself out of the work thing even if it's sharing a clip of something that people can talk about, creates a connection because it's something that isn't 
there's no value attached to it in that it, there's no what, what I'm trying to say there's no um obligation to have a right or wrong view about it it's just a thing which can start a different kind of conversation i think mm. that's one thing uh, that certainly can help people connect and actually the thing that i'm doing far more with my clients now is just spending a few minutes before you get stuck into business just to have a chat how are you? How are you feeling? When people remember things like take your dog for a walk on Table Mountain, how's that been? It, yeah. it, your recall on some information that's been said to you before, bringing that up and having a genuine curiosity for someone can be really valuable. That really does create connections, I think. Okay. Yeah, those are good points. Excellent. So, Sandra. We're running out of time. So who typically do you work with? First question, who, who are your typical clients or what, are, what problems do they experience? And so somebody typically turns to Sandra when they have X, Y, or Z. And then secondly, how can they get hold of you? Great question. Um, my clients are quite varied. My coaching clients are normally people who know that there's something more to life than this that's what they, they they kind of say to me themselves so it, the people who are wanting to to be more present or want to prom get promotion or they want to be heard and they've tried other techniques and they haven't worked they've heard about this thing called emotional intelligence they want to give it a go so those are the clients um, from a coaching perspective from a okay. customer experience perspective it's normally organizations who have noticed an increase in their complaints or they want to manage their contact centers a bit better or they want to grow the business in a particular way and they know that customers are critical, but they want that critical eye from outside to say, why don't you do this rather than that? And because yeah. I've got experience in lots of different fields, I can bring other examples uh, to them. Best way to contact me is through LinkedIn. Okay. So yes, yeah, Sandra Thompson. I think I'm I'm labelled as a, a CX educator and the first Goldman uh, emotional intelligence coach. But yeah, LinkedIn is where I'm at most days. So okay. yeah, feel free to drop me a line. So that's Sandra Thompson on LinkedIn, the first em emotional intelligence coach in the UK. I think. Yep. Thanks very much for being on the show, Sandra. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I wish you all the luck and success in your work and your further endeavours. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Take care out there. All right. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, please listen on any one of your favorite podcasting channels like iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor.fm. If you would like to be interviewed or need more information, please email me at alistair at jabber.io. That's A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R at J-A-B-B-A dot I-O. Cheers. Mm -hmm.